All right. Picking up again, Proverbs 25, because today is the 25th. Okay. These are more Proverbs of Solomon copied by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the heavens are so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Remove the dross from the silver, and out comes material for the silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a peace among great men. It is better for him to say to you, Come up here, than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. Yeesh. Okay, so uh, you've got Hezekiah, king of Judah, copying down Proverbs of Solomon. I I ha- actually have to do a little more research on that because anytime you are speaking from an educated standpoint about the scriptures, you should be the expert in the room. And on this one, I am I am not. So I am going to Google why, because it's a great place to start looking for answers. Typing in, when did Hezekiah, king of Judah, have Solomon's Proverbs copied? What in the world is going on there? You can also go to Got Questions gotquestions.org. That's a great source for any kind of Bible question. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, have Solomon's Proverbs copied? Help me. Okay. Got questions, no results found for. Okay, great. Let's go somewhere else. Google says about 700 BC, the earliest collections, chapter 25 through 29, titled Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied, came into being about 700 BC. The latest one through nine dates from the fourth century. There's also an an untitled acrostic poem about the virtuous wife, chapter 31, 10. Through 31. That's from Britannica.com. Looking at what else we have. Chapter 25. These chapters contain more Proverbs of Solomon that were collected by King Hezekiah. I I actually don't know who recorded, like, was that, when was that added? Obviously, Solomon didn't write that part. Huh, that's going to take a little more homework and looking at on just the first sentence. So, 
most likely that's an addition later on. Obviously, it's an addition to Solomon's actual proverb. I guess apparently Hezekiah helped collect those to then put them in the book of Proverbs that was then considered a part of the canon. Huh. Never asked that question as I read this, and I've read this quite a few times. So anyways, that that's my assumption. I'll look at that more moving forward. So the way that I am doing this is not, I'm not sitting down like preparing a message and like writing an outline, looking for illustrations, like image, need, context, text, point one, two, three, wrapping with the image again, closing with, here's what you walk away with. I'm just sitting down and basically doing a audio quiet time. I wanted to say audible, but that's like, that's not what I wanted. I don't, maybe that I, can you use that like an audible in football is you call a play in the huddle and then you audible to another play, meaning you change it, but audible, but it would be an audible call. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you could do that or not. I'm really sorry. It is the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter or the glory of God to conceal a matter to search out a matter is the glory of Kings as the heavens are high and the earth is deep. So the hearts of Kings are unsearchable. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean like God is trying to hide things? I don't think so. I don't think that's what it is at all. It that that seems like it's in line with that idea of like overlook a small offense. And and that's okay. Like when somebody offends you and it's not that big of a deal, that like it's completely appropriate to overlook that. What does it mean to overlook an offense? Proverbs. I don't remember where that one's either. I clearly today, I am not the expert. And it is his honor and glory to overlook a transgression or an offense without seeking revenge and harboring resentment in Matthew 5, 16. Jesus tells us, let your light shine before others so that you may see your, uh, they may see your good works and give glory to God. Well, how, like, that's not telling me what I need to know. Proverbs 29. No, where does it say that? Proverbs 17. For a while, I was trying to memorize one verse out of each proverb, uh, out of each proverbs chapter. I only made it to like chapter nine, but still, it's excuse me for burping in the mic. Chapter seventeen, verse nine: He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Okay, that, that's in line with that idea of it, like it's like it's completely appropriate to overlook a small offense being I'm offended by this. I'm not going to go talk about it to somebody else. I'm not going to go share that with a group of people. And, and I may not even address it with the individual who has offended me because it's not that big of a matter. And it's saying uh, that like extending forgiveness and just going like, Hey, like benefit of the doubt. I'm going to think the best of you. 
uh, I'm assuming it was either a mistake, an accident, or you know what, I'm just not going to hold that against you because we have a relationship. I love you, care about you, not going to worry about it. Move forward. That promotes love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Example, uh, this last this last season, it is currently the spring, and my son is currently 12, so he's a sixth grader. We did a flag football team uh, with fifth and sixth graders. Now, his sixth grade class has, I think there were like 26 guys who wanted to play flag football. So there are four different teams uh, that are represented in the league we play in from his class. Three of those teams are uh, are almost 100% kids from his school in his grade. Our team is not. And so I put together a team of eight guys two or sixth grade, two or fifth grade from the school he goes to, and then two or sixth grade from other schools and two or fifth grade from other schools. So we have a hybrid team made up of split fifth and sixth graders and split uh, his private school and uh, split uh, public school. And so there's a, a reason and a strategy for all of that. We did that. It is not attached to this, this uh, other group of guys, these other 24 guys in his class. We did a distinctly different team and uh, for three different reasons, three different strategic reasons. <clears throat> However, um, somebody got upset about it, and or at least my understanding is they got upset about it. No one has actually, the, the party that got upset has not told me, hey, I'm upset because of fill in the blank. However, when it happened, a phone call was made from, from my assumed frustrated party to another party from a parent on our team had a conversation about like, well, how and why, like, why did you get on the team? This is the kind of thing we're talking about because to overlook a quote offense, it promotes love. Like, but to not do that, to repeat the matter, especially outside the context of if I'm upset with you and I'm not coming to you, I'm upset with you and I'm going to go talk to somebody else. Well, when that wraps around and said party, so I'm party A right now. And when part, party B is upset and they don't talk to party A, they talk to party C and then it comes back to me and I find out about it. It didn't promote love. It separated close friends. It created a divide in that relationship. This is exactly what that's talking about. That's a, that's a prime example of, Hey, I got a problem. Like now was I, am I able to go back and reconcile with party B about that? Uh, I haven't been able to yet. Why? Because party B has never told party A that they're upset, but what it did do was it got repeated. It went to party C that then wrapped back around. Cause it always does. Any, anytime a great thing. Anytime you run your mouth, about something like this, it's almost guaranteed it's going back to main party almost always. And so that's a good practice there of just like know that, hey, come on now. And so here, verse two, it's the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter. Hey, you know, I'm going to overlook a small offense, but to search out a matter is the glory of kings. Like, am I after, and it's a lowercase king, so it's not indicating like, the king of kings god <clears throat> yahweh and and now we get to name use the name jesus which again which i said from chapter 22 anytime i'm talking about the old testament and i refer back to jesus i i do that knowing like man we have the full picture of the story from genesis to the book of revelation we know that jesus is intimately involved in creation and throughout time he just hadn't put flesh on yet 
and, and that name wasn't being used. So the point being to search out a matter is to the glory of an earthly king, a human, a person of power, of influence, of whatever. And, and I would say it's probably standing in contrast when God's saying, hey, it is honoring and loving to overlook small offenses. And it's all about you when you're, um, when you're searching out and you're looking for, hey, here's what we're going uh, to run with. That's not edifying or glorifying or honoring to the Lord. Again, this is not about hiding mistakes and cons- like <clears throat> examples like when, um, and, and this is a common thing on a church staff, when somebody makes a major mistake, uh, when a, past- a pastor has an affair or a pastor commits a legal offense in terms of finances or something happens, a pastor's addicted to porn and, and that comes out inside of the staff or inside the elder board. And rather than saying, Hey, here's what's going on as we address the church as a body. Like, let's say it's a guy who speaks on stage. Let's say it's a teaching pastor and he has an affair. It's very common for then you to watch an exit and, and it not really be communicated. Here's what's happened. And I've, I have sat in meetings where people have said, hey, here's what's gone on with so-and-so. This is taking place. He's stepping down. One, don't you dare talk about this to anybody. This is completely confidential. If you say this to anyone, which that's like, that's go- like it's gossip if you're just spreading around. But at the same time, they're like, hey, we're going to fire you if, if anybody finds out what happened outside of this circle and, and that source comes from you, you're getting fired. Again, going along, along with gossip, I understand that part of it. But, but the part that doesn't make sense is this idea of we're actually not going to communicate the reality of what took place. In fact, we're going to cover it up with a little bit of a story and whatever and not really that doesn't always happen. There are some places that do some that they're phenomenal about shepherding, not only the body of people, but also knowing that they have to shepherd the shepherds at times when things are broken and, and helping people walk through a process of confession, redemption and restoration. And, but at the same time, there, there's a, a list or a history of us not doing that well. And <clears throat> anyways, so verse two, the glory of God to conceal. So that's not what's going on here. God isn't saying like those situations uh, that you conceal the matters, but rather really do think it goes back to, if we look at that uh, overlooking a small offense, it's, it is honoring to God to extend forgiveness and love and grace and go like everybody, like not even a big deal. Um, And at the same time, we do as humans with one another need to keep short accounts. And so if there is something going on, say like probably need to say something. Um, if I, if I'm upset with somebody and it keeps coming back up, that's keeping a short account, two things going on. One, actually I'm not, if so, I'm going to take a step back. If I've done something that I know to be offensive, then I need to keep a short account and go, Hey, um, is do I, do I need I may know I need to apologize so I need to say hey will you please forgive me for filling the blank or if I don't know I need to go hey I don't know like if I frustrated you can you tell me um going back to the example did party a call party b or part of party b to say hey 
like, is there anything we need to talk about? Yeah, I, I did do that. Um, it's one of those. It's like, again, you know, point being, keeping a short account, if I've made a mistake, I'm going to, I need to address that. Number two, keeping a short account, if I'm frustrated with somebody, when can I overlook an offense? Well, when I can forget about it and move on, extend grace, forgiveness, I'm good. If it keeps coming back up, then I need to go have a conversation with that person because I need to, as Ephesians says, like I, we need to fight for unity inside the body. Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians chapter four, verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all like paul writes and says if he's in say like we really need to get along fight for unity inside this family of god like when you have disagreements fight for unity deal with conflict appropriately when you have your feelings hurt and it keeps coming back up go tell that person hey it really hurt me when you fill in the blank yeah and there are times given back to the example presented there are times and that's difficult because it's like well if i do that then someone else is going to know that someone else told me this and it's like yeah i get that and that's hard and some and sometimes it isn't going to work out in a clean in a clean manner i have had great experiences before where i've had buddies call i have a really good friend one of my best friends his name is lance he called me this was maybe oh eight years ago eight nine years ago and then yeah nine and uh, we just moved to Austin. Um, I had just done a year at Watermark in their residency program, which was completely life-changing for me. One of the best years of my life, very influential in knowing the scriptures, uh, but even better, dealing with sin, uh, allowing God to allowing God to do the things that he desires in our lives when we have hidden sin or have issues or have things that prohibit us from being as good as what I think he made us to be in terms of following him and doing what he's called us to do and sharing the story of Jesus with others, leading our families well and being men of character and integrity. Um, I was struggling at, at that point when I went into Watermark and had a great year of learning some really, really good things about just being a man and following Jesus and raising my children and being a husband and then eventually being a pastor uh, as I had continued to do after that. So I had given a message at the end of that. I got to speak at the, what's called the porch. It's the Tuesday night young adult service that they do. And I was helping in that ministry or serving in that ministry that year I was there. And so they, it was kind of like the cap of here's my residency. i I spoke the last week I was there. So got up, spoke, shared my story, shared my story of the year and all that had gone on. And what I did not expect was when some friends of mine, people that were on my staff or uh, close friends such as Lance heard that message. There, I, and Anybody who is a believer is always like, you're always excited for somebody when they have significant movements in life if as God is changing somebody's heart and really working on them and there's very practice like, man, that's amazing. Love seeing God bring redemption in your life. And at the same time, 
there were some hurt feelings about like, man, there was some time you were struggling and we were uh, really close and, and Lance called me and he was like, Hey, I, I'll listen to your message. And I just want you to know, like, you can, I think he even said, he's like, I'm a little butthurt about the fact that you never told me that you were struggling the way that you were. And he's like, like you're one of my best friends and you like, you didn't tell me what was going on. And it was like, it was one of those I'm listening to him and had to, I had to like take a breath and be like, Oh man, I see. I can see where that's hurtful. Not, not even just like that's offensive. Like that was, or that was hurtful and it wasn't honoring of our friendship and the kindness that he'd showed me throughout the year for years that we've been buddies. And that was a really good conversation because it was one that I think he probably wrestled with. Uh, I trust that he wrestled with it before we talked. There's no way he didn't because of the way he handled it when we had a conversation. It was very, very manly, very healthy. Um, and at the same time, it was one of those, it was like when you have to address that, it has to be done in gentleness so that the person receiving it can hear it. Because anytime I'm talking about, man, I'm going to deal with something that is you might get really mad at me when I tell you this because it was hurtful. Nobody ever wants to hear that they're wrong. No one ever wants to hear that they hurt somebody and then have to say, I'm, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me for that? That's hard. That's, that's not fun. And it, sometimes it takes a while. If ever someone can hear and receive that and do that well. So I know that he did. I know that he went through a process in order to have that conversation and at the same time, I think it was very clear to him, like it, it probably kept coming up and it was one that like it needed to be addressed because it, it like it had created an issue. And so it had, it had disunified from Ephesians four, it had disunified that relationship and we had to rectify that and get to where uh, things were good. And it was a great convo. In fact, I may ask Lance if he wants to do like a relationship restorative convo process podcast that would probably that would probably be good as we because relationships like relationships are hard whether it's marriage whether it's in your family it's whether it's parents to kids or kids to parents or parents who are now parents to their parents uh, siblings friends co-workers but you know all those things it's um relationships are a challenge and so how do we do that in a healthy way this, this is addressing one of those things where it is, man, it's, it is good to overlook an offense when you can. And when you can't, you have to, you got to deal with it in an appropriate manner, manner, which is not how far this is going. And anyways, but still moving on as the heavens are high and the earth is deep. So the hearts of Kings are unsearchable. I don't know if you've ever like, we don't live in America. It is a republic. We have a president. We elect him every four years. You may make it four. You may make it eight. Or four and then a gap and then another eight. We don't have, we don't live in a society where kings work the way they did then. And like, so who, who would that be in our society? And I don't know. Let's try to jump this from, okay, 700 BC to now the 21st century. 
how is that how, like how is that applicable in terms of the hearts of kings are unsearchable if we're going with just like i think pragmatic things a king is a person in power they're a person who has influence they're a person who has knownness they're a person who has typically backing of finances of servants of the ability to go to war or to not go to war or to bring peace uh to you know so somebody of significant power and influence that brings that typically brings some different thought processes if we look at just fame in america today or fame and success with money i've referred to shoe dog by phil knight a couple of times in this because it's obviously it's not a christian book it is the story of phil knight how nike got to where nike is as of the end of that book that book was published in 2016 or 2018 maybe both i bought one in london and it was in london published and i think that was 2018 i think it had been published in america in 2016 he finished writing it in like 09 or something like a postscript was written in 09 the end the story ends though in 1980 as they had gone public and it, from 1962 of him i graduated from stanford i am embarking on this idea of importing japanese running shoes to america and selling them to athletes here to then all the way to 1980 where the private company nike then went public and all of a sudden money was no longer a problem for this startup company from beaverton oregon and he said with the day it went public like he got up that morning uh the shares had sold and all that kind of stuff and so he at that point woke up and was worth like 170 million dollars um and and then by the end of the book as he wrote the little prologue at the end where he was talking about he was then retired he was no longer working as the ceo of nike still the owner and still up there and still have obviously significant influence but he was then worth about 10 billion dollars at that point, and that was like in 09, I think, when that when that prologue was written. But he says, he talked about like at the beginning when it first happened, all these things that like these kind of strange things that took place with him and his team as they all went from just hardworking guys who make good money to then multimillionaires and how that affected them and the different things they were doing. He was like, it, it, it was, he was very realistic and kind of down to earth in terms of saying like, we did some weird things. He was like, I used to wear, I wore this cowboy hat. He's like, I don't even know where I got it, where it came from. He's like, it showed up in all these pictures and I had it on. And I think he was like, I don't even remember it. And he said his wife, her name is Penny would carry. What was she carrying? It was like, she would overstock with like toilet paper and paper towels, I think. And then she would carry paper clips or something like something odd, just like in mass amounts around all the time. And just talking about like, there's a weird shift whenever somebody goes from normalcy to like major success, what that will do. And I think we can take that kind of concept and look and go, man, the hearts of Kings are unsearchable. There are depths that maybe we don't understand. And you could even go, if we're moving into this world and go pastoral, the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, if you listen to that storyline and just listening to the, polarity of Mark Driscoll's personality from a high capacity, high functioning, very, very talented leader who there are thousands 
of people who have trusted Jesus because that man has stood and spoke about the word of God. And then there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people that have been deeply, deeply hurt coming from the, the, again, the polarity of like, man, there's some really hurtful things done probably because of the success and attitude that came with that. What I walked away from that podcast wasn't a, Oh, me too. I've been hurt too but rather a golly had I had that kind of success, if I would have been that good, which I'm not, I'm not that good. I'm not that talented. I'm not that smart. I, I don't have that capacity as a leader, but I have cool tattoos and hoodies. And, and Mark probably would not like me very much if, if we really sat down and, and got into life discussion, not because we would disagree on Jesus, but I'm getting off track. Mark wouldn't like me because I work for my wife, but she is amazing at what she does. And it was one of those where it's like, I was listening to Gary Vee a few years ago. And as to where Mark would be like, men work, women stay home. Men are the providers and the hunters. I can hunt. I have guns. I have axes. I have a bow. I have tattoos. I squat still. I have beer in my fridge. Uh, I can smoke a cigar. I can probably do more push-ups than Mark can and then pull-ups after that. And I would, actually would love to have that competition if he'd want to jump in. I'd like to have Furtick too because he's yoked. The point being, um, I'm no less manly because I am the CFO of Stello Style and run all the support stuff for my wife. Gary V, as he talked about it, was like, man, we live in a culture that finally has recognized that there are some women who are badasses at what they do and and we know a few of them and interestingly enough i mean we've got we have clients who are ceos clients who are doctors who are major business owners who work in big time government um entities and uh hedge fund hedge fund managers things like that they're just there we have we know some people and and get to run in some circles that are very, very high capacity women. And, and then men who are great at running support for them. I am, a, I'm actually a better number two than I am a number one in the majority of environments I live in. If I'm, if I'm doing student ministry, I'm not going to be a number two. I just, I can't do it and I can't function that way. But in business, I'm actually a better two than I am a one. And Ryan is, it would be impossible for Ryan to be a number two. In, in an arena and, and why she's been so successful over the last two decades and continues to continue. It's just like, it's crazy. The different things that I've watched her do and being able to run support for that. So if we sat down and talked, he would probably have a very stout disagreement with that. And then well, I mean, we could sit there and wrestle with scripture about it and, and look at like, okay, what does it say? And at the same time, understanding me being very confident. I understand my role from a biblical perspective as a man and as a husband and as a father and even as a pastoral type figure in, in my life in the different arenas that I get to play in. Um, how did I even get on that? Oh, talking about the King's hearts being unsearchable point being a, not a hard shift. Like, let me run down a rabbit trail for a moment. People of power and significant influence it's not uncommon for them to be ununderstandable on some of the depths of the heart, again, being inside of 
Jewish context is like that inner being, the most central, not so much the pumper, but rather that idea of like, it is the in, like it's the inside driver, the root of, here we go. Sometimes that is unsearchable. And which is interesting because he just talked about like, hey, here's what's the glory of God and then the glory of kings. And then, man, there's sometimes you're just not going to get it. Sometimes it's just not going to make sense. And that's, uh, and it is what it is. So verse three, remove the dross from the silver and out comes material for the silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. Take out what is bad so that you can use all the good stuff. Not a silversmith. I've never melted silver and never dealt with that. Never made any jewelry. I know a jeweler, a jewel, a jeweler, jeweler. We know a couple jewelers who make jewelry, or maybe a few who make it. But um, whether you know one or not, or know how that process works, I think the point here is is very clear. Like you're taking out what's unusable, and then you have what is usable for something of substance, something of significance, something of value. And then goes on, remove the wicked from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. This is a great, if you look at it and go, okay, what, how do I wrestle with that? If we're talking about people of prominence, people of power, people of influence inside our circle of this podcast, it's inside a Christian uh, title of man. We'll talk about Jesus. We talk about faith, talk about family, talk about, the Bible, which is a lot of what I'm doing right now. And those people in those positions as pastor figures, as a lead pastor or a teaching pastor or a book writer or an author or a traveling speaker, or you know, fill in the blank, whoever it is, similar to you're taking out dross from silver, I'm taking out what is worthless. I'm taking out what is, is devaluing what is valuable. I've got to remove that same thing with these people, same thing with that person of influence, same per thing with the King. Like they, you needed to remove the people of Fort Solomon. They needed to remove wicked people from his presence, like get them out of the King's court and out of his ear. When we sit down at this table to eat and we're talking and laughing and doing all that we're doing, I don't need perverse conversation going on. I don't need somebody who has an agenda trying to push that agenda for their own personal gain or for whatever wicked benefit there is that needs to be out of there. And we only need to be dealing with, Hey, what's encouraging, what's moving the ball forward, what's productive, what's for in Solomon's case, the, the people of God and how he's leading them. And then to move it to, to us now, who should be at the table with a person of influence, of prominence, of power, of importance? It should be people who are kind, generous, loving, honest, high integrity, uh, people that don't mind saying, hey, you're out of line here, rather than a bunch of yes men. You know, maybe maybe some of the problems that happened at a at Mars Hill or even in a Mars Hill type situation are who's at the table and even though now, now I'm being, I'm, let me go with my own examples instead of that one. Cause I didn't live that one. And that's not a fair thing. I have sat at the table before and been like, this is not, this isn't right. 
there are things being said inside this room with 15 people around this room who are all supposed to be people of uh, high integrity character who have influence and have a voice into the one who's leading this whole thing. Not that he's the king. And that's not who it is, but he's still the person of power and influence. And some of the conversation is not edifying to this group. It's not, it doesn't bring unity. It doesn't bring productivity. It doesn't bring things that are positive. It is not like, it's not okay. It's either perverse or it's out of line, or it is matters that, okay, these aren't small offenses. These things have to be addressed. And the point here is that you've got to get that out because that particular person in his throne will be established through righteousness. That person of power in Solomon's day, Solomon was supposed to be a right, just individual so that he could lead people caring about the people. Not about him, not about what he wanted, not what was about best for him, but rather he was in a position of, man, I am having to answer for millions of humans. And how, like, how are they able to live? How do they survive? How do they eat? How do they make money? How do they work? How do they do the basic necessities of what it means to be human? How am I doing that in a really, really good way? In a way that is right, in a way that is just, in a way that is godly and honoring to the one who gave me this position. And so take that idea and move it to us and go, like, Am, am I doing that? So am, am I a person of prominence of power? No, nobody knows who I am. I coach high school football. I'm the O-line and D-line coach. And so I have influence over about 65 guys. That's not a place of prominence and power. And I'm an assistant coach. So I don't even get to pick, hey, are we running power encounter? Or are we going to run ISO? Or are we going to run zone this year? And now we're basing off our offense. I get a I get a piece of that conversation. I get to encourage. I get to throw things in there. And, and I, sh I better make sure I'm not a wicked person doing that because the person who is the prominent person in that position needs people who are all those things speaking life into that so that, so that what we are after, we're trying, to, we're trying to leverage football to build men who love Jesus and lead their families well and businesses well and in the country well and when it's their turn to be men that they are they are men and so i i need to be that and and we need to not have wickedness inside that so that i mean if if you've got let's just take the football program for example you got a bunch of guys who are man they're, they're great godly genuine high integrity high working high capacity <clears throat> humans who are all after the same thing that head coach is going to be successful at what we're after. And meaning, again, high school football in Texas, you want to win. Like you're building men and you want to win state championships. You want to, you want to have winning records, make playoff runs. You want district title banners hanging all around your gym. You want deep runs in the playoffs. And over the course of 10 years, if you get one or two state championships, or at least you're there, you're being successful. Uh, in terms of high school football success, as again, we say that's not priority one, that's priority two. And if we're accomplishing priority one and building men, we actually are going to win quite a bit. And which is true. If you have that, that head coach's time will be successful and long. If you don't, it will not be successful and it will be short. 
And I think you can apply that to business in general and business churches, organizations, anything where you're after for us as believers, when we're after something bigger than us, and it's not just about money and success. It's about how am I using my life to influence those around me that's honoring to God, that brings life, that brings hope, that brings um, the answer. Obviously, I can't bring the answer to the world's problem, uh, but rather I, but I can show up and go, hey, here's what the scriptures say the answer is. And then I can live in a way that has influence to that. And Solomon saying, those who are in position and power and prominence, get the wicked people out of your, get them out of their circle. Do not exalt yourself in a king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here than for him to humiliate you before a noble man. Let other people place you in the positions you've earned. Let other people put the name on your office. Let other people be the ones that say yada, yada. Um, we sh the old adage, if you have to say it out loud, it's not true, should be applicable here. Um, let those that you serve, serve them well. If you're, if you're not a number one, you know, do like work hard, be kind, genuine, loving, do your very best and let let those in position be the ones who bring honor. Obviously, here is you got King Solomon and he's writing like, man, would we have a banquet? The people who sit close, let me invite them to sit close. Don't be the guy that sits close and I have to go, hey, you need to move because uh, my boy's coming up here to your seat. You got to move. Like it is... Again, that idea of humility, we talked about that from chapter 22 at the end of last week. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Like, know what you're good at. Own that. Be, be the best at whatever it is you're good at. But you don't have to tell anybody that that's... If somebody asks in your interview, fine. But that doesn't have to be... Let other people do that. Let other people bring honor and, and those things to you. And it, I mean, it's just one of the, it's a, it's better that way. You don't get embarrassed in situations. So anyways, chapter 25 verses one through seven, some really great content in there. I am going to go back and look more at like, okay, I, I actually need to do homework on Hezekiah, King of Judah, having his men copy down the, the Proverbs of Solomon. And then like, when did that get mixed in there uh, or not mixed in, but when did it get approved and yes this is a part of the canon and this is when the book of proverbs was put together finalized how did that work so there are there are more than more than it's it's predominantly assumed uh or or not assumed but stated that solomon wrote the majority of proverbs but not all of it is actually attributed to solomon so most of it but not every piece of it and there actually there was a there was more that solomon wrote that all wasn't put in there so because the guy was super wise so wise men write things down and the rest of us read them to glean wisdom thanks for listening today i hope you have a great day